This is Isolated Together, a pandemic podcast by Quinnipiac University. I'm David DeRoche. What's up, Earth citizens? I am David DeRoche, Director of Community Programming at Quinnipiac University. This is Isolated Together. It's a podcast about how we're dealing with the pandemic. Today, we're going to be talking with some folks who are on the front lines in terms of dealing with individuals with disabilities and mental health challenges. I'm really excited to talk about these issues with these folks because I think this is something that maybe we're not really paying attention to oftentimes when there are incidents like this. Uh, nothing necessarily like this has happened, but you know, anytime there are things that draw our attention away from vulnerable populations, those populations tend to be forgotten. So these are some of the folks who are on the front lines dealing with people who really need assistance, especially at times when our stress levels are pretty significant. So uh, really excited about the show. Today we have Mike Pomo. He is the Chief Program Officer for Mental Health Connecticut. It's a uh, organization that's been around for over 100 years. And they do a lot of really great work around the state with uh, folks uh, dealing with mental health challenges. Also with us is Jean Yarohovich. She's a program coordinator. She works in the Waterbury Housing Program for Mental Health Connecticut. So thank you both Jean and Mike for being here. Mike, just give us a sense of where things are now. What kind of things have you been doing to adjust the pandemic and how are things just going generally? So what we've been uh, having to do uh, since this all kind of started in the quarantine came down and the need for social isolation really, um, you know, social distancing was really put out there as being the way to stop the spread. It really went against everything kind of we do because we really are about working in the community. We are out there every day. Um, our office spaces are very, very small because um, we don't need it. We're, we're out working with individuals and we are battling um, isolation each and every day too. So more, more often than not, we're gathering these people together, bringing them in, running groups, bring them to psychosocial clubhouses, kind of trying to involve them with their peers. So once once we started, we knew we had to make a change. And what we we really started uh, limiting the exposure of our, our staff in the community. Uh, as much as we know that um, our staff are at risk, we know that our, our client base is at a much higher risk. And many of them have a lot of the complications that, that put them in the very dangerous area. We could tell them to stay home and, and Many of them may be able to. Now, if we're out there and going in two, three times a week, we're bringing those germs in. We're bringing in, you know, possibly uh, running the risk of doing harm. So we uh, immediately did up a, a triage of all of our most high-risk clients and began to pull back from the face-to-face visits, and we instituted uh, daily calls. Started off really saying, hey, we'll call you every single day. You know, we want to check in, want to find out what's going on with you. Um, some folks are taking us up on that. Other folks, it might be twice a week that they're comfortable with, but it's a way for us to reach out, stay connected, assess needs, and really promote the education and all of the information that we know is is coming out daily around, you know, this crisis in general. So you were just saying about these calls and how you're making check-ins with, with folks. How are they responding? Is that something that you think is, is uh, having a positive impact? Absolutely. We, we have noticed a, a positive impact. As I said, um, a lot of folks that we might have seen once a week in general when we were going out in the community, we're talking to them two, three times a week now. 
because you know they've lost some of their other social outlets, and so now we are able to provide that. Um, it it gives them more of you know a sense that there is that person out there that cares, right? And there's that person that that's checking in. So it helps to keep them grounded and connected to the services, but also to the community at, on whole. You know, a lot of our folks are out and they may be in apartment buildings. They're, they live alone. Um, they really don't have a lot of uh, support system, system around them. And so, so we are that. So I would say that's really been very positive. We've also noticed that people um, have been open to embracing technology that they may have not been in the past. And um, so we've started using Zoom and doing our groups through that. So our educational groups are still running. Uh, we're doing our health groups. We're doing a lot of groups, obviously, focused on this crisis in general, but also just arts and crafts and uh, social groups and things like that to get people to be able to enjoy something other than a, a pandemic, you know, put their mind on something else and get them engaged positively and to be able to see and or at least hear their peers, you know, if they're, they're participating by phone, whoever it may be. So, um, so we have noticed that, that that's been a, a change in the way we've delivered our services, but it's been received rather well. And um, it's, it's, it's very exciting to see we're still able to do our work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder, because of the challenge this has placed on all of us in terms of just keeping our mental health as a priority for those who might have, you know, diagnosed mental illnesses, is that challenge obviously is probably more significant for them. So for those who being social is already a challenge, do you find that this is enough for them or what are you able to do for those folks? I'll say it's maybe it's never enough, right? I mean, there could always be more. We are, you know, we pride ourselves on being person-centered and really uh, focusing on what the individual wants. And so we do kind of, we started all of our plans with really reaching out to everybody and saying, what would you want? What is that frequency? What what, is, what makes the most sense for you? I know there are really, there are some folks, I, I know I said once a day, but we have folks that are a couple times a day. But now they, we've even given out our phone numbers to the 24-hour programs because they're staffed 24-hour 7. And so folks that maybe even after hours, things like that, they need just to hear that familiar voice. They just need, you know, a little reassurance. It's not a true emergency, but they just kind of need that touch that they have that. And so, I mean, I would say we could always do more, but for right now, I think we are, we're, we're filling the needs of their expressed needs of what they're looking for. I mean, obviously mm. it just makes it tough when all of the places that they normally go are closed, you know, I mean, even, and even some doctor's appointments, therapy appointments, everything has been, you know, if not halted, reduced or the frequency has been dropped. And so um, it, it is tough to, to, to get something, you know, get some of the, the, the assistance and services you were getting before this started. Tell me about the new partnership you have with the Department of Housing in 211. Tell me more about that. Right off the bat, we knew that that was going to be a tough population because really uh, with, with the homeless population uh, in Connecticut, it all starts with the call to 211 and then 211 assigns you to an intake appointment uh, depending on where you are in the state and you show up to a physical facility. To, to meet with that person. And then that determines whether what assistance you may get, whether you can get in shelter, it all starts there. Quickly, we found that um, the, the places where we had done these intakes were putting their own social distancing in place. They were having to take over more space to, uh, to, to space things out. And we lost our offices. You know, a lot of places even said we can't have, you know, staff who don't belong to us, or we don't want to have clients that aren't ours coming in. And, and these people all fall into that group. So we knew we needed a way to, to get in touch with them quickly and serve them quickly, but 
with mitigating all this risk. So uh, Department of Housing reached out to us and just through some brainstorming, we we realized you know, with our, our new phone system that we have uh, through Microsoft Teams that we had abilities to kind of um, play around with call trees and, um, and kind of like um, hotlines. And so now the process is when you call into 211 and uh, your appointment, now you're just given our phone number. And from eight to five, if you call that line, we have um, five individuals that are waiting to take your call. So if the first person doesn't answer, it gets bumped, bumped, bumped. If you're the sixth person, you would leave a voicemail, but uh, then all five of those individuals get that same voicemail. So we're able to reach right back out. I would say that actually we, we had taken our wait time from uh, two days to one day over the last uh, couple of years uh, through adding staff and changing some of our, our processes. But now folks are getting seen same day. So they, they can call into 211, they're getting our phone number, and they're going to call over. When we used to do our meetings face-to-face, -face, we would set a time and say, we'll be there between 8 and noon. And, you know, if, if no one is there by 11, our staff would leave because they would go off and, and then start working with people and engaging with them, the other things they need to do. Well, now we could be on the phone, we could be helping people find jobs, we could be helping uh, call landlords and doing all that. And then a call comes through for an appointment and we can still take that. So it's actually started as really just a reaction to what, what we need to do for today. But really when, it, when I look at it long term, I, I can see us absolutely taking this model into the future well past uh, COVID-19. It has been so successful that we are now working with other state agencies to see if they have the same sort of technology and or manpower to institute it there as well. Mm. And I definitely want to talk more about that because I feel like that is a trend that I'm seeing with a lot of uh, organizations and companies is that, you know, being forced to, to innovate uh, because of the pandemic and coming up with solutions that could extend beyond the pandemic because um, they just make sense. I want to come back to that. But just for our listeners who might not really understand the nuts and bolts of what exactly that you do. So explain what the average person who might call in is like, like what's their situation? What's the scenario that, or a common scenario that you might be in a position to help them? So we, we work with individuals who are dealing with a severe uh, mental health diagnosis. Uh, as I said, they also many times have co-occurring, could be substance use or physical disabilities as well, but that's our client base. Uh, the vast majority of our programs are funded through uh, Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, and so they do meet their criteria for uh, being low income and also the, the, the severity of the illness. Folks are coming to us, it really does run the whole gamut. Um, we offer um, services from starting with supported education, supported employment, getting people back to school, filling out FAFSA, uh, you know, really the whole running the whole nuts and bolts until they get into school, filling out resumes, hooking them up with jobs. We work with individuals in the community who may need uh, assistance to learning the sort of, you know, maybe paying rent on time, managing a budget, managing shopping trips, things like that. Um, and we're really teaching those ADLs, the sort of uh, you know, activities we all do every day. Um, and then we have our 24-hour programs where um, we have staff on staff 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not a group home, it's um, people come and go and they're able to, but they have the staff there for support. And there are much more uh, uh, heavy uh, educational components to that. A lot of those folks are maybe people that um, never lived on their own, uh, some young adults, and they've, they've maybe been through some of the mental health 
system, uh, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, and they really haven't had the opportunity to live in the community on their own, don't really have the skills. That's a place where we can come and bring them in and really be able to build them up. Folks that are coming out of long-term institutionalization, their skills may have degraded. Uh, it's you really, you, you lose a lot, be it, you know, a, a hospitalization or, or incarceration. You know, you're really pretty helpless when you're in those places and um, you aren't really able to practice many of your, your skills. So uh, it's a place then where we bring them in and are able to uh, build them up to hopefully move them out. So they're working with our people in the community to move them out to our employment program to then discharge them all together. One of the stories that seems to be surfacing fairly frequently, it seems like, at least in some of the circles that are media circles that I've been paying attention to, is what is happening in some of our prisons because, you know, that's sort of a, a perfect storm for the virus to spread. I know it's only been, you know, about two months, uh, but have you worked with anybody coming out of, of previously being incarcerated and needing services? And what's that been like? I will say right now we've been very lucky. I just put out that in our 24-hour programs, we have not had anyone test positive. I attribute that, you know, a bit of luck, I know, but we were also pretty early on on doing the quarantining and kind of the, the the isolation, providing masks out to staff and clients, but we have we have um, we work with quite a bit with DOC around the, our homeless services. That many of the folks, um, because they may have been homeless before they went in, and or you know they they've lost everything now while they're they're incarcerated. So typically they're coming out and going to our homeless services, and homeless services is all about housing. It's, it's housing first, so we'll get you housing and then attach those other services and things once you are stably housed. Because we know you really can't work on employment or your sobriety or, or anything else if you don't have a roof over your head. So it poses a challenge. I will say, you know, we, we, we're seeing probably more of those folks right now, I think, because so many agencies are so strained and there, there are fewer maybe resources that are open right now um, in this time. And so... Um, but we work we work closely with them to try and you know and really get them back in the mainstream like the rest of our folks. So Mike, do you have any just personal stories about a success that you've experienced or a challenge that you've overcome during this this response uh, to the pandemic or anything that you've heard from staff members like a particularly either inspiring or just sort of a, a positive sort of twist on any of this stuff? Anything you can share? I know the press a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> so my, myself, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm mainly working from home these days and really, um, you know, reaching out to my folks. I have to say that every day, though, I am blown away by the, the dedication of our staff that, you know, folks are, are continuing to come in when we did this change of pulling folks out of the community based programs. You know, people started making the call. They started working from home. But if you're not driving people, you're not going to appointments, the, your workload has dropped drastically, right? So that we had a lot of folks that had a, a lot of free time on their hands. And when we reached out and asked them, they, they're now working on our 24-hour program. So they've, you know, they could stay at home, they can make their phone calls, collect their pay, um, but they are, they're going in because they know we have that need and, um, and they know that the, the clientele has that need. So um, it's really just been amazing the way that our, our staff have come together, um, people working doubles, people, you know, um, driving from Bridgeport to go work in Torrington um, just to pick up the pick up the slack and make sure that we've, you know, not only that our clients are taken care of, but really go back to um, having our staff taken care of, too. That You know, we, we have a lot of programs that tend to be um, single staffed. It's just, you know, the way the funding is, the way the, the design is. And really, you know, it just could always be 
a hardship, you know, and someone's there all by yourself. But, you know, that now we've, we've been trying to put more staff in because we're asking people not to go and not to stay home. You need more in-home activities. And the, the, the staff are jumping at that and they're able, they're able to give that peer support and, you know, really be able to, to keep each other um, supported in this time, which, you know, is just as important as supporting our, our clients. I guess that's probably a big part of it, right, is the mental health of your workers and how they're sort of dealing with it. I know a lot of places have I've been trying to encourage or offer access to, you know, uh, telehealth services where you can call in and, you know, if you have some something on your mind and you want to share it. But to your point, I feel like a, a lot of places are also just encouraging you know people to share with each other. And, and in some ways that can be helpful just to you know, get stuff off your chest. Are you finding that the folks who are on the ground who are in the field, are they, they feel safe generally? Do they have access to the, the proper personal protective equipment that they need? Like what, how's that been? I will say that. Uh, the PPE was a real struggle for us initially, but we are now at a place where we have secured masks for all of our program participants as well as our staff. Um, we um, have some gowns. We have the face shields for when they're dealing with someone who may be positive or you know they're maybe exposed to fluids. We're in a good spot now. I, I think that we still struggle, um, you know, for hand sanitizer, some cleaning products. It's just that they're very hard to obtain. We have some good, um, some good companies that are working with us, you know, that prioritize us. They know the work we do. They they know our need for it. But I'd say that uh, generally the, the response has been very, uh, very positive. That um, I, I will say too that it, it goes to credit our CEO uh, Luis Perez. He's he's been very transparent. Uh, he has been addressing the staff, you know, uh, weekly. Uh, more so when when things are changing more quickly, uh, but to really give them that update of hey, this is where we're at. This is what what we're 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 putting in place to protect you and our clients. And I think that really goes a long way, you know. And um, I, so I think you know, do people feel safe? You know, no. But I think given the circumstances, it's the best we can do. And they realize that we are we're doing everything we can, and they are continuing to come. That you know that we have not seen a mass exodus. We're not having a lot of FMLA. That folks are showing up to their shifts. Mm. Well, good to hear because I, you know, the service you provide is is probably pretty necessary, especially in times like this when things can be so challenging. So, Gene Yarohovich, I want to turn to you as program coordinator. Just tell me about your specific job, what you do generally, and how your job has altered or switched or changed since this pandemic. So in addition to still supporting a caseload of clients, I supervise three residential counselors at this time. So in the beginning and overlook the rehab specialists in our 24-hour program who are there every day now. And we actually onboarded a new residential counselor during this time, which that alone has been a struggle because you're coming into a building that has a pandemic going on and now they're learning how we do things here at Mental Health Connecticut in the middle of all of this where it's all completely different than how it normally is. So, I mean, that's been a little challenging, but it's great to have the fact that they even came to orientation and decided to start in the middle of all of this, which is great. So besides that, I mean, everything is different, I feel, personally. We go from seeing clients every day to talking to them. It's a lot different for everybody. And what's that been like for you? For me, I feel I spend a lot more time talking to my clients than I did before. I mean, we went from seeing them weekly for like two hours, and then now I talk to my clients daily. I mean, some of them I have are really starting to feel the social isolation right now, and they're struggling because they don't have any other supports. 
There are community supports where all programs that are no longer open. Our psychosocial club was a great place for a lot of our clients to go because they had so many other people to talk to and different groups and activities to participate in, and now they have no one, really. I mean, and it's sad. Like, yesterday I had a client tell me himself that I'm the only person he's talked to through this whole pandemic. Oof. And that's sad to know that you're home and you have nobody else to talk to. I personally talk to clients hours during the day, but there's some clients that do struggle to talk to you though on the phone and not seeing them face to face is hard. Yeah. I mean, a phone conversation is something, but it's not the same, right? Even a Zoom conversation is a little bit better than a phone conversation. Uh, are you able to use that technology? But I know some folks might not even have access to that technology. So actually going into the pandemic, when the company first decided to change how we were going to work things, I actually had clients that didn't even have cell phones. They had no way of communicating at all. Right. So we were able to actually get them cell phones, but then it became teaching them how to use them while right. staying away from them. So that right. was challenging. I mean, Oof. I feel like there's a different challenge with that every day, but a lot of them are communicating and they Mike was bringing up the different ways that we have groups now that I've really had a lot of my clients that have been like, oh my God, yes, I want to do that group. It gives me a way to talk to other people. Like, yes, I need something to break up my day, make break up what I'm doing. So they're really embracing those groups. You brought up an interesting point how you said prior to this, you would see a client or uh, maybe for two hours a week, but now you're talking to them maybe every single day. So it's fascinating to me because the difference is, you know, you're having the conversations, but they're not in person. And do you think, and this is kind of what I was trying to get to with Mike, the value of the phone conversation, you know, the frequency is more, right? But is it, is the quality the same? And probably not. So I'm wondering, is there a way that you can bridge that gap? I don't even know what that looks like. This might not even be a question that's possible to answer. There's some challenges with that and there's some that are possible to be mitigated and there's some that we just i'm not really sure how to show somebody how to do something over a phone at this point so we're really big on skill building so it's hard to be able to model for somebody that may need to be modeled for of how to do something i can explain it only so many times but a lot of our clients need to be able to see how to do something i've personally still been able to apply for like housing with some of my clients but we do it by mail, so it just takes longer. So I mail them applications, they sign it, they mail them back to me, and then mail it into the housing places. So there are some ways to mitigate things, but other ways it's become more difficult. Also, I think for the biggest thing that we struggle with is a lot of our clients, especially towards the end of the month, run out of food stamps and they really are used to utilizing food banks. So I think it's been difficult to get them food, knowing that a lot of the food banks have not a lot in stock or are only open on limited hours. And a lot of our clients can't get to the food banks because they were used to us bringing them to the food banks. Definitely been a struggle to get them food. I mean, we have, and we've utilized our food bank and thankfully our 24 hour staff has been wonderful at bringing it to participants and leaving it on their doorsteps and get, giving it to them. But I think that even the shortage of food in general is going to become an issue down the road. Mm, mm. So when this stuff started happening, so you guys were ahead of the curve. You uh, started making some decisions before the governor stepped in and issued stay-at-home orders. So you started 
you saw the writing on the wall and made some adjustments in terms of how you were going to um, work with your, your clients moving forward. Were there any points along the way where you realized, oh, wow, this is something that you should be doing anyway? You know, uh, Mike and I talked about earlier about some stuff that you have come up with as a result of the pandemic. Were there any sort of aha moments for yourself in terms of what you do and how you work where you were like, oh my gosh, why haven't we been doing this before? I mean, I think it comes down to a lot of the work that we're doing phone call wise or really pushing our clients to be more independent. I think there's things that we have done in the past where it's like, oh, why didn't I use this resource before? Or why didn't I look into this? Or why didn't I really encourage them to this. I think that we're doing more research and looking and finding more resources at this time. There's also a lot more resources available right now too. Well, that's good to hear. You know, sometimes, often you hear the opposite that, you know, resources are shriveling up, but you feel like they're becoming more they're readily available. It depends on the week. I mean, this week, <laughs> if they really um, instituted a new program where they're offering meals once a day, for clients. So we just recently found out about that. So a lot of our clients have been signing up for it, which is nice, but that's just something that came with the funding from the state or okay. government with the pandemic. So that's not something that will go on after this either. Well, what about you just personally? Like, Do you have any personal stories that you'd like to share, just interactions with clients or any sort of thing that, that showed you that there's light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> Anything inspiring or funny or worth sharing these stories, anything come to mind? I probably should have asked you guys earlier so you had some time to think about it. So sorry for putting you on the spot like that. Oh, Mike has one. A great story came out of our housing program. We have staff there that are, are dedicated to working with our young adult population, because we're 18 to 25. And um, we had some folks come through that were literally homeless, living in their cars, living on the street. And we got them to have stable housing that these individuals now have come back to us and are working with our staff uh, to provide outreach to help identify other uh, young adults who are homeless in the community and, and to help to bring them in to get them hooked up with our services. You know, I mean, we, we have some young staff, but still, you know, we're not ever going to hire. We don't have teenagers on staff too. So it's somebody that could really, it is their, truly their peer and they're able to outreach, but you know, they had no need to do this. Uh, it's completely volunteer, uh, but they're, they're doing it really just because they see the need and they want to get back. And they saw what our staff did and how it impacted them. And they just want to be able to, to do the same for others. And I imagine it can be challenging in times like this to think about other people. And it seems like, you know, individually, our worlds are crumbling. Uh, I know at least personally, I have to constantly check myself and, you know, and, you know, validate my own feelings and my own you know, mental health state, but also, you know, recognize that, you know, a lot of people have it much worse. Um, and, but to being able to think about somebody else in this way that you actually take action, I think that's really laudable in the times like this, where it seems like, you know, you're, it's so easy to become internally focused and focus on yourself and, and forget that there are so many people out there that really, really need help. All that to say, it's great that organizations like yourself are focusing on people with uh, mental health challenges because I feel like generally those folks are, are forgotten in society. And in times like this, it seems like it could be even worse. So thank you for the work that you do. Does anybody else have anything they want to share, talk about, mention? Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, if you guys don't have any final thoughts or anything to share, we can just call it a day. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate your time. Keep thank up the great you. work. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.
I was just speaking with Mike Cuomo, who's the Chief Program Officer for Mental Health Connecticut. I was also talking to Jean Yaharovich. She's a program coordinator for Mental Health Connecticut. They do some really great work around the state for people with mental illnesses and people experiencing housing insecurity and homeless individuals. So it was really great having them on. This is Isolated Together, a Quinnipiac University podcast. I'm David DeRoche. I'm Director of Community Programming for Quinnipiac University. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. You can also shoot us an email at QUPodcasts at QU.edu. If you have stories to share, if you have ideas for us, comments, criticisms, any of that stuff, please reach out to us. We want to hear from you. This is a podcast about the pandemic and how we're dealing with it. So it's important that we get your input. We are isolated together, but we can get through this together. I'm David DeRoche. Thanks for listening.